0: Right, if you have a Bible, you can open the Matthews Gospel. We'll look at chapter two verses one through 12 this morning, and the text is also in the bulletin. <clears throat> Matthew 2, 1 through 12. Um, so one of the unique aspects of the Christian life, uh, the Christian faith, is the universal intent of it. Um, It's intended to have a universal scope. Christianity is for the whole world. It's not just for one group of people over and against another group of people. The message of the gospel is intended to cross all cultures. It's meant to spread across every land. It's meant to be spoken in every language. And uh, any kind of person can become a Christian. Everyone in the world should become a Christian and should join the church. And that's God's intent, and it's a vision that is revealed by God in the Scriptures, that Jesus Christ is Savior and Lord, not just of one nation, but of all nations. And that's what we'll talk about this morning as we look at this passage, which has historically, traditionally been used at Epiphany, which is coming up, I think, this Wednesday on the 6th. cheating a bit and going ahead and looking at Epiphany, even though it's still just the second Sunday after Christmas. Uh, We're looking at the fact that Jesus is Savior and Lord, not just of one nation, but of all nations. So, uh, So let me pray, then we'll read the scripture. Father, in the gospel, you have spoken to us. You've revealed yourself. You've made known your will and your plans for us. Help us to receive this word about Jesus for what it is. It's the most important and wonderful and life-changing thing in the world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Praise be to you, O Christ. So this really is a fascinating little story at the beginning of the gospel. Uh, Maybe not for the reason that we would normally think. We tend to be fascinated by this phenomenon of a star, right? Uh, Especially, uh, I think, with the recent conjunction of Jupiter and Saturn in the night sky that we had. Uh, just a little over a week ago, right? Um, On December 21st, I guess it's almost two weeks ago now, uh, the two planets, Jupiter and Saturn, they appeared next to each other in the sky, which happens about every 20 years that they sort of line up in our view this way, but it's the closest that they've been since 1623, and it's the closest we've been able to see, the closest we've been able to observe, because it actually happens at night, um, since 1226. It's like 800 years, right? It's a big deal. And everybody was talking about it, even if uh, around here the cloud cover uh, prevented pretty much everybody from seeing it. <clears throat> we were still talking about it. And you can see pictures of it on, uh, on the internet. Uh, 400 years ago, Johannes Kepler suggested that this conjunction of Jupiter and Saturn could have been the Christmas star that we read about here. Others have speculated about comets or <clears throat> sorry, uh, different astronomical alignments in order to explain whatever this star of Bethlehem was. Uh, make calculations and observations of the stars, and maybe we'll figure something out someday. But it's all very interesting. <clears throat> but there does seem to be this fascination with the star, right? Star is what grips our attention, when probably there should be a fascination with the people, people in the story, because much more rare and much more wonderful and much more exciting and newsworthy than the conjunction of planets in the night sky is the coming together of the son of god and sinners in a dark world like this <clears throat> the real point of the story it isn't uh, it, like mysterious astronomy it's not mystical astrology the real point of the story is people coming to the light of the world the nations actually, coming to Jesus like moths drawn to a flame. That's represented in the the magi from the east coming to Jesus. They're following the star that lit the night sky to the place where they find the light of the world himself. So we don't know much for certain about these magi. Some have said that they were kings. Uh, We don't know what country they come from. Uh, Some guess that there were three. uh, And we sing about it in the the song that we're going to sing during communion. Um, because they brought three gifts, you know? Maybe each one of them brought a different gift. <clears throat> but it's speculation. We don't know. Maybe they came from Persia. Maybe they came from Babylon. Maybe they came from further east. We don't know. But a Magi, which is translated here as wise men, we do know this. They were usually priests and experts in mysteries. And the ESV study Bible says that they practiced astrology, dream interpretation, magic, and uh, studied sacred writings looking for wisdom. So we read about people like this, magi, several times in the Old Testament in the pagan courts of Pharaoh in Egypt or uh, the court of Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon, and they're called on to give special insights and counsel to figure out what it is that God might be doing or the, the gods might be doing. <clears throat> And usually they're the villains. Usually they're, uh, they're known for their opposition to God and to his people. When you read about them in the scriptures. Daniel Daniel was trained to be uh, a magus. Uh, and he served in Babylon as one of them. Even though he was a Jew and he wasn't a pagan like the rest of them. Right? But, but these wise men who came to Jesus, they were not Jews. And that's a really big deal because you might expect these magi to be the bad guys in the story. If you've read about magi before in the, the dealings that uh, God and his people have had with foreign powers, <clears throat> these are the bad guys. So you might expect that, but God blesses them. God blesses them by drawing them into the worship of Jesus. God blesses them by including them in spite of their background. God had long promised to bless the people of Israel, the particular nation of Israel, the people who are descended um, biologically, for the most part, from Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. But he had made it explicit, God made it explicit that he was not blessing Israel alone, but that he would bless the whole world through them, especially through their king, especially through the king who is of the house of David, the son of David. So Israel's king had been big news among foreign peoples before. He'd had international acclaim. So in 1 Kings chapter 10, we read about David's son, King Solomon. And it said that he excelled all the kings of the earth in riches and in wisdom. And the whole earth sought the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God had put into his mind. Every one of them, all all these people from all all the earth, surrounding nations, they brought... (coughs) present articles of silver and gold and garments and myrrh and spices etc the kinds of gifts that these wise men bring to the son of David so it was customary when standing in awe before great kings to bring gifts to give gifts to express your admiration of them as uh, as great people to to give them honor as your superiors even to place yourself at, at their service These things were customary. So there's precedent in the Bible for this, the great King Solomon, who received foreign dignitaries and gifts from afar. He was a precursor to the even greater king, the greater son of David, the Lord Jesus Christ, who was Lord at his birth. He didn't need any coronation. Jesus was born King of the Jews, as these Magi acknowledge. But the Jews, his own people, they did not receive him. In fact, ultimately, the people of his own country sought to kill Jesus. While these wise men from the East had come to worship him. And as the Eastern Magi came, bringing their gifts, then they're a picture of all the peoples of the world. They're a picture of of the Gentiles bringing our gifts, bringing our talents and skills and wealth, bringing our very selves to express our admiration for the Lord Jesus Christ, our King, to to give him all honor. It's a picture of people from every tribe, tongue, and nation welcome into his presence. Welcome to worship. So this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. God sent his son to unite himself to us, to, to unite us to himself, to take our humanity to himself in his own person, To bear our sins and our condemnation at the cross. And to die and to kill our estrangement from God in his death on the cross. And then to rise again in permanent living victory over death. And to carry our humanity to the most exalted place at God's right hand. And to open the way for us to follow him. Into his eternal glory and to share with us his own spirit and to share with us his own life with God. And the gifts that the Magi give to Jesus proclaim this gospel all up front, all, all in his infancy. Right, Gold is a kingly gift. Frankincense is associated with prayers that are offered by a priest. The priest burns incense that are it's sort of representative of prayers. Myrrh was used by lovers. You can read about it in the Song of Solomon. It was also used for the burial of the dead. Strange combination. <clears throat> But this this is the gospel that these gifts proclaim. Jesus is the lover of our souls, he's the one who died for our salvation. He's our great high priest, who offers true prayers to God for his people, intercedes for them constantly, and in whose name we pray and we relate to God the Father. He's the Lord of all, He's the Lord of life and death. He's the King of heaven and earth. So whether the Magi understood the significance of these gifts or how they might have come to understand the significance of these gifts, we don't know. We're not told. But we know this, that here are Gentiles recognizing Jesus as Lord, acknowledging and praising and responding to his Lordship. The gospel of Jesus Christ is good news for them. It's good news for all people everywhere. It's not something that the people of Israel were allowed to be exclusive about. It's not something that we are allowed to be exclusive about. The Jews were exclusive uh, unfortunately about their status as God's special people. But that impulse it demonstrates that they, they don't really know God. They might think they're the ones with the real special relationship to God and no one else is invited into this relationship. But that impulse toward exclusivity shows they actually don't know God. And in fact, that exclusivity reveals itself to be ultimately antagonistic to God and hostile to God. Because we might have expected the Magi to be the bad guys in this story, but it was the Messiah's own people who killed him, beginning with Herod's attempt here on Jesus' life during his infancy, which you can... Read the next couple of verses and learn about that. Those who would <clears throat> claim exclusive rights, exclusive access to God, the exclusive privilege of God's blessing, they have nothing to do with the one true God. So there is a sense in which the gospel is exclusive. When it declares that the only way to have a relationship with God is through faith in Jesus Christ. And there is no other way to eternal life. That's just the same thing as saying God is real. He's not the God of your imagining. He won't be whatever you think he should be or whatever you'd like him to be. He will be known according to his revelation of himself. You can't just make up what you like and say that you have a relationship with him. So, yes, in that sense... The gospel is exclusive. It's exclusive of wrong ways of knowing God. Ways of knowing God that are not ways of knowing God. But the gospel is universally inclusive when it declares that whoever comes to the one true God through faith in Jesus is saved and forgiven and enters into a real relationship with him. It's inclusive. Because who you are is not a limiting factor on God's love. He loves all kinds of people entirely in spite of themselves. God does not exclude you because you've made a mess of your life. He doesn't only love good, healthy, smart, well-behaved, attractive people. He welcomes every imaginable type of misfit among his people. He draws people to his son from every conceivable background. In his mercy, he receives the wrong kind of person to himself every day. The wise men from the East, these were the wrong kind of people. Maybe we'd be suspicious of people with stories like theirs if they showed up to join us for worship. But instead of being suspicious, instead of being exclusive, it should be a cause for celebration. Right? Because God arranged for these people to come and meet Jesus. That's obvious. Whatever the star of Bethlehem was in astronomical terms. <clears throat> in biblical terms, in Genesis 1, God, God says he made the lights of the heavens. He made the sun, moon, and stars for signs And God had arranged for this particular sign to lead these particular people to the newborn king. So this was no mistake on God's part. He welcomed the wrong kind of people to the party. And they were elated just to be part of what God was doing. When they arrived in Bethlehem and saw the star resting over the house where Jesus was, it says they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. That's very emphatic. How happy they were. They fell down before him, they worshiped him, they gave him gifts out of their treasures. That's the right response to God, to who he is and what he's done. That's the right response of anyone who comes to Jesus. And seeing that response in other people, no matter who they are, no matter what their background, should evoke our joy and our wonder as well as we recognize our brothers who worship the Lord even if they seem like very strange people to us. Because really, ultimately, these Magi represent not just those strange people, it represents us. The Magi represent us. We are the strange people. We are the wrong kind of people. We are the undeserving misfits who have been led to Jesus. We were the Gentiles living in pagan lands. That describes us. We are the nations that God has included. We're the nations that God has brought to worship Jesus as Lord. These magi were just the beginning of people like us being drawn to the light of the Gentiles. This says more about who God is than about the kind of people we are. And our enthusiasm for inclusion, it has to correspond with this vision of, of this God who would welcome all kinds of the wrong kinds of people. Right? If we're exclusive, it means that we don't like the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. If we're exclusive, we don't like the God who brings the Magi. We can never reject others as the wrong kind of people without also rejecting the God who welcomes the wrong kind of people. We can never condemn others and say, they don't belong here, without also condemning ourselves and undermining our own belonging. Which is entirely a gift of God's grace. We don't belong among God's people because of anything in us, but in spite of everything in us, because God has drawn us to Jesus. God may use very strange means to draw people to himself, things that we don't understand, like a star in the sky resting over a house. God might use those means, that's okay. As long as when people are drawn, they're drawn to Jesus. As long as when they arrive, they hear the true revelation of Jesus and they respond to who Jesus is. This is why Jesus came. This is why he was crucified. This is why he was exalted. So that all peoples would be drawn to him. So that we would all find ourselves unlikely brothers and sisters in Christ. He was sent... Not just to be a servant to bring the Jews together and to redeem Jacob and Israel, as it says in our Old Testament reading from Isaiah 49. He was sent to be a light for the nations, all the nations, so that God's salvation may reach the end of the earth. That means us. Here we are at the end of the earth. That means you. That means everyone you know. That means people that you can hardly imagine and don't know how to relate to because they're so different. Jesus welcomes you, and he welcomes all your strange friends and family, and he welcomes all the wrong kinds of people in the world. And he invites us to join him in his relationship with God. So let's celebrate him, who he really is, and, and rejoice exceedingly with great joy that he's included people like us, And let's share the good news about him with everyone. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we're sorry for the ways that we tend to be exclusive about how you have blessed us with a knowledge of yourself. Forgive us and make us more like you. We thank you for including us in your kingdom in spite of ourselves. We pray that you would help us to celebrate you and your inclusiveness. Help us to celebrate what you celebrate. Help us to celebrate Jesus, whom you sent to save the world. Help us to rejoice with you when misfits come to Jesus. Help us to participate in what you are doing in revealing Jesus as the light of this dark world. We pray in his name. Amen.